This week on The Big Show, award-winning playwright, screenwriter Richard Wesley will join us to talk about his revolutionary and historic career. In addition, we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Adrift, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Welcome to the latest episode of The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov. Got an action-packed show today and a show that is going to be really, really personal to me. As you heard at the top, uh, Richard Wesley, uh, screenwriter of Uptown Saturday Night. Let's do it again. Uh, Black Real Award nominated years later for Deacons of Defense. He's going to join us uh, to talk about these historic films and also the film movement. Uh, in addition to that, we also will have reviews this week of Adrift. Not a big, huge movie weekend, but I did see this film last night. I wanted to take a, you know, examine this one for the audience. And also coming up momentarily we will have news and reviews uh with wilson morales at blackfilm.com but before we get into that just basically wanted to say um you know we are knee deep in the summer now uh we just had uh you know our first major misstep of the summer which of course was solo a star wars story um you know the film did pretty well it, below, it performed below expectations, so there's a lot of angst, uh, re-examination. So Wilson Morales, as I said, momentarily will talk to us about that. And momentarily has arrived. So, you know, let us just bring Wilson on, because I really want to get into this. Wilson, welcome to our show, man. It's good to be on. Uh, sir, you heard me just talk a little bit about uh, Solo, man. Um, what happened, man? Are we having uh, big film overload, tenpole overload? What happened? Why did this film underperform in your estimation? Well, I think, you know, we, we get into what's expected to do well. And, and Memorial Day weekend generally doesn't bring in a lot of box office returns. You know, I think we've had more failures around that weekend than successes. Uh, and although Star Wars came with a lot of hype, you know, because it's part of the franchise, um, people may be over... Uh, maybe have spent too much. You know, we've had Black Panther, we've had um, The Avengers, we've had Deadpool, you know, and the theaters, prices are going high, you know, after a while, you, you, people just don't want to spend another fifteen twenty dollars not just that, they want to spread it out a bit. Uh, and at the same time, regarding Solo, as much as you want that, that is part of the franchise, no one's familiar with the lead uh, actor, Aldrin Enrich, I think his name is. Yeah. You know, people have talked more about Donald Clover because he's been in the spotlight more lately than the lead actor. 
Well, I think that played a major role in it, but I think there, the, you know, the Star Wars universe, and I guess the folks at Disney thought that, you know, anytime you put Star Wars in a title and, you know, you give them something that's familiar, you know, even though the actor may be someone that the public is not familiar with, I still thought, and you thought as well, that um, this film would be successful because we've looked at what some of these other spinoff films have done, like Rogue One and, you know, the Star Wars universe has moved forward. Um, did we overshoot? Did you know? Should we? You know? Should we look at this instead of trying to spin it like it's not a mega hit, like some of these other films are, and just kind of look at it for what it is, man? That it's a solid film. It's not going to 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 kind of be a huge money maker. But is there a way, Wilson, to kind of spin this and make it make it more of a positive than a negative? It's a serviceable film. You know, it's not a film you're going to watch. 10 or 20 times, you know, that we, you know, for me personally, I don't walk into these movies looking for the Messiah, and I'm not going to write a thesis about what's right or what's wrong with the movie. I think when you think about the other films that have done well, they've had the luxury of playing in December, you know, and usually around December is when you get a lot of Oscar caliber, uh, dramatic films that are not blockbusters. So Star Wars stands out when it plays out in December and it trickles into January and so forth. Here, you know, Disney took a chance to put it in the, in the heart of the summer, you know, thinking like, hey, let's go, let's go big. And but when you have films in front of it and films coming behind it, there isn't isn't there really isn't a lot of uh, time for that movie to to do well. You know, you either expect it to do huge during Memorial Day weekend and have a two week, uh, you know, gap before the next big film comes out, which I think is going to be incredible. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case, you know. People go away during the summertime, Memorial Day weekend, whereas opposed to December time, you know, not everybody goes away during Christmas. People are just around at home. Wow. And like I said, there's, there's less blockbuster films in December than in the summertime. No, yeah, I agree with you. And I was going to say that uh, you just passed over Ocean's 8, boy, because I think that's another one. I think I think we're going to run into a situation, and I think you and I have talked about it on this show and as well as off air, that at some point I knew that there would be a drop-off. I was just surprised that this was the film that the drop-off occurred. I was thinking that we would be looking in July at Ant-Man and the Wasp, and there's clearly going to be a little superhero fatigue because you can't continue to match, as you said earlier, match match the energy of a Black Panther, match the energy of an Avengers Infinity War. Uh, Somebody's going to have to take the hit. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, even Deadpool, Deadpool didn't do as wide as he is expected. You know, it fell off by like maybe 20 to 30 million, which is not bad. Um, But I don't think it's going to make the same numbers that it did the original movie did. Um, Star Wars, you know, they've got time. You know, if this is the worst moneymaker, they'll survive. Um, and like I said, you know, we still have Jurassic come out. We have Ocean uh, 8. You know, we have another Mission Impossible. You know, so look, this is not the, this was probably the first of others to not make their mark. All righty. Uh, let me let me pivot for a minute. Uh, just coming across the wire, the first images, man, of Tom Cruise, man, back on the tarmac uh, in the in the uh, new film Top Gun Maverick. Um, I, I'm a little I'm a little uh, interested about you, what you feel about this, man. It's been twenty. I'm sorry, thirty two years since the original Top Gun, man. 
Yes. Hey, no. I, you know, I just want to get see a good story. People remember the original one. I don't think there were any presses in the, the original one. I think this is certainly a chance for, I guess, Tom Cruise in his over the fifty age to kind of play like the the, the lead squadron called back into action, and and a, and a chance for young cast to shine. Yeah, man. Oh, dang, thirty two years. That's a long time, Wilson. Between sequels, man. And, uh, somewhere along the line, I'm assuming the plot's going to involve something where his character Maverick comes out of retirement. <laughs> wow, man. You know, this, this film game is interesting to me. And, it, and this kind of goes back to a conversation I had with you that, you know, we are, there's not a, a lot of original information that's out here, man. We just keep regurgitating the same stuff over and over for new generations, man. And, uh, you know, I'm always stunned, man, sometimes where it's like, come on, people, you know, but maybe original ideas aren't selling right now, man. That's why we keep getting a string of films of remakes and, you know, uh, reboots and... Well, yeah, you know, when you're selling at the producers and investors, everything old is new again. they rather, you know, reinvent the wheel than, re, you know, create something new. Wow, absolutely. So in addition to that, I know we've gone through some, you know, we went off topic, man. So what did you have coming up in entertainment this week in addition to what we've already discussed? Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's a slow week. I think, the, like you said, the only thing out there is a drift. Right. And then, um, I don't know, I think Ocean's 8 comes out next week. Right. You know, we're, we're entering the start of the TV season for the summer. Uh, so there, there really isn't a lot there, you know. And then I think they made an announcement that Superfly is going to open up the 2018 ABFF. American Black Film Festival. Okay, and, and so you've seen the trailer, man. I, I, mm, I, I'm interested. We just talked about this, man. We were talking about Top Gun. Superfly, that movie was made in 1972, man. It's 46 yeah. years ago. Everything old is new again. We're also we're getting Superfly. We're getting another Shaft version. <laughs> You know, uh, bringing back all these exploitation films and, like I said, reinventing the wheel. Son of Shaft is going to be on Netflix. I don't know when, but they have all three of the Shafts in it. So Samuel L., Richard Roundtree, and I forget, is it is it Trevor Jackson? No, Trevor Jackson is Superfly. Um, the guy from uh, the basketball show, uh, the LeBron James Survivor's Remorse, is going to be playing uh, uh, playing Superfly. I mean, Shaft in this one. I keep getting my Shaft Superflies confused. Yeah, Jesse, I forgot his last name. <laughs> yeah, so now I know you're going to be down at ABFF, and you'll check this out and let us know. Yeah, so we'll be down there. There was a couple other films going on there. I don't think not all of the films have been announced yet as far as studio films. All right. I know I know. Um, we've got a, a – I've, I've seen some of the films that they've leaked out. They haven't leaked out a lot of the films uh, at ABFF. Um, and I realize now, you know, in the, pro- in the process of planning my own festival, how detailed that process is, man. So, you know, a lot of respect to Jeff, Jeff Friday for what he does and has been doing now. I think it's going on year 20 – is it 22, 21, something yeah, like that? Yeah, year 22 now. Yeah, man. So – and I participated early on. On, man um, at ABFF and I've watched it grow I loved it Wilson I don't know if you ever did it when it was in Acapulco I loved when he, we used to go to Mexico to do it there never got a chance to go to that one but I'm happy uh, to be in Miami you know what man I hate I despise you so much right now I'm happy to be in Miami who's not <laughs> who's not happy to be in Miami so what else is going on Wilson anything else on this super slow week man in entertainment <laughs> no, 
at this point right now, it's just a slow well as we've seen, you know, people make announcements here and there. I think, you know, this is when you have to start looking at what other stories are being marketed right now. Next week we have Opel Artemis, you know, so like in between these big blockbusters, we have a couple of small films. You know, it's funny. Uh, Sterling K. Brown and uh, Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta are starring in that. So I think we'll get a chance to see that next week. Um, you're out of here. ABFF is in what about uh, two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. All right. So yeah. So we're, we're definitely about to hit the, the middle of summer. Summer right now. So, but bro, like I tell folks. So before I let you go, is there anything coming up for you this weekend? Because you know, I always try. I live vicariously through you. And if you're not following Wilson on IG, man, that's where you need to be at man uh things are quiet right now so anything can change at any minute (laughs) okay all right just checking all right so you watch this you being secretive is cool i'll just keep following you on ig man i'll check it out for myself uh wilson for for people who aren't aren't close to you like i am tell people where they can follow and read your content i can find me at blackfilm.com which is the same word you use for twitter and instagram all right, Wilson, bro, I appreciate you, man, like I do every week, man. All right, good to be on. All right, you take care, man. Thanks. Thanks. All right, and that's Wilson Morales, who is with us at the top of every show, uh, giving us entertainment news and reviews, and it is a very slow week. Uh, we got a couple of minutes, boy, before we get out of here. Uh, what we didn't talk about was last night was the second of the two-parters for the season three of Queen Sugar. So I got a chance to watch episode one. I think it was on Tuesday night. Uh, I watched part two last night. So really interesting stuff. If you Are you a Queen Sugar fan? No? Okay. So we got some Queen Sugar fans out there, uh, including the person who's shaking his head no behind the glass. But check it out. It looks like this season, uh, Ava DuVernay is picking up where she left off at last season. Love this show. I think it's one of the best scripted shows on television, man. I really do. Uh, But we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back on the other side, um, it is going to be my great honor to talk to screenwriter and playwright Richard Richard Wesley, who I am really looking forward to this conversation. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at DC radio and we'll be right back Welcome back to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at DC Radio, and that's 96.3 HD4. And if you're listening, of course, online, it's dcradio.gov. Coming up a little later in the show, on a really slow week at the movies, I'll have my review of the biggest film of the weekend, which, of course, is Adrift. I know you don't know what it is. Just keep listening. I'll put you on game a little late on in the show. Uh, But right now... um, 
I, I've been telling people all week that how excited I am to talk to our next guest. Uh, this is a very personal interview for me because there's so many different connections. So without any further ado, the man who the first movie I ever went to when my parents let me go and say, Tim, go to the movies alone. <laughs> I bought a ticket to see a movie called Let's Do It Again. Um, I run a movie ministry at my church. The movie ministry is called Uptown Saturday Night, the movie ministry. Well, I'll be. Now, online with me is the man who wrote both those screenplays, none other than my homeboy from Newark, New Jersey. It is Mr. Richard <laughs> Wesley. Mr. Wesley, how are you? I am doing fine. How are you doing? Sir, come on, man. How am I doing? I, I've been excited to talk to guests. Uh, you know, a little a little uh, transparency. Me and Richard actually met. You were here, I think, a decade ago. And we did the Black Real Awards at the French Embassy. And I was, and you know, we talked a little that night when you were at the Oh, you, yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, I still, uh, right now where I'm sitting. Uh-huh. My Black Bill Award is is uh, is facing me, sir. I, I rest my case, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so, up here on a, go ahead, on man. a bookshelf and everything. No, bro. Hey, so congratulations to for that night. But again, like I said, man, I was telling somebody the story. I said, you know, the the, the themes and connections of of your work to my life and uh, you know it really touches me and, and I, in, pre in preparation for this interview I went back and rewatched both Uptown Saturday Night again and I rewatched the beginning because I love the beginning of Let's Do It Again when you had this, oh, yeah. this young fine actress named Jane Kennedy who was just oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so fine well uh, um I, I can't take any credit for that part. I was so glad to see her on the screen myself. <laughs> uh, but that was all Sidney Poitier. So let's get into it, man. So I want to talk a little bit about you had the opportunity um, I, and I was going through your bio and, they, you know, somebody said you we first he first gained notoriety for Black Terror. And I was like, man, <laughs> did anybody ever capture Black Terror and put it on, you know, get it on video so we can go back and watch it? Uh, no, unfortunately, no one ever did. Um, I had uh, hoped at one point uh, to do an adaptation of it for the screen, but um, I've always met resistance to that to that particular play, man. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute, stop. Tell tell the people what Black Terror was about. Black Terror was a political drama. It was um, uh, about a group of uh, nationalist revolutionaries um, who were in an unnamed big city on the uh, East Coast, and they had fomented the revolution. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I took all of the um, rhetoric and political ideology of the late 60s, I put it on stage. You know, I said, okay, y'all want a rev you know, revolution? Let's have one. Wow! We'll put it all out here, and it was for the audience side. You know, like, you know, like, how do we want to proceed? 
So let me ask you a question, Richard. Um, you know, a couple of years, I guess around the time you you were you were looking at that late sixties time period and the ide- and the political ideology mm-hmm. of that period. Sam Greenleaf, you remember, wrote the spook who said by the door, I think it was sixty nine. And yes. got that movie on the big screen in seventy three and then was pulled out of theaters uh by the feds three weeks after it was released and then hidden. Um it would it have been a case, man, had you been able to get your work on the screen around that time that it may have been too strong or too revolutionary uh, for audiences or for people who weren't us who didn't want to promote those images? Well, I know in that time period um, uh, there were two films um, that came out that talked that that actively showed black revolutionaries in action. Mm-hmm. One was um, Spook Who Sat by the Door, and um, the other was uh, a film called The, the Big Come Down or, or The Big Throwdown or something like that. The star of that film was Billy D. Williams. Hmm. And he played a uh, revolutionary in there. Uh, it was loosely based on Huey, um, but uh, the... Uh, that, that big, uh, see the whole, wow, it's been a long time since I've seen that film. It was only in the theaters for like 10 days. Um, there was a police shootout. They were holding out against the police somewhere in L.A. And um, I believe it was like sort of like based on an actual incident that happened with the Black Panther Party, the Los Angeles uh, Black Panther Party. Right. And um, that was the revolution also. And like I said, that, that one was only on screen for 10, ten days. <laughs> and then gone. <laughs> Haven't seen it since. You know, and it's funny because I'm trying. I was trying to Google it, man, and and of course can't find it. I, I know which film you're talking about, and the incident you're talking about is the shootout that they had, where the LAPD opened fire on the Panthers, and and it must mm-hmm. have gone on a firefight for like maybe five hours, man. And the Panthers were just, seven seven hours, right? I yeah seven hours. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, so I'm very familiar. So. I'm going to take a pivot as we talk about this ideology. A lot of what you, you know, your formative years were spent in Newark, New Jersey. So, yeah. So born and raised, born and raised in Newark. And so was I. Where did you live, man, in the city? Um, uh, in the Ironbound section, the far east side of the city. <laughs> Yeah, you, you definitely you definitely are a man who precedes my generation because when I was coming <laughs> up of age, we had all moved out of that area and and other races had come and moved into that part of town. Yeah, well, you know, historically there's always been a black presence down there that still is. Right. Um it, it's just that you know um it's never really been talked about. But up to thirty-five, close to forty percent of the population of the of the Ironbound is African American. Wow, man, yeah, I'm telling you, it was much different, man. Because you know, I'm I came up, you know, like almost two decades after you, and uh, okay. you know, I grew up on Howard Street, man. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun, man. The city, it, it, it was interesting. I actually tell people all the time that, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was always unwritten codes, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well, mm-hmm. that, you know, people who were in the life only dealt with people who were in the life. Uh, women, children, and seniors were always kind of off limits when I was coming up. And I remember, right. I mean, nobody ever told me that, but that was that was kind of what I witnessed. Um, what was crack it? changed that? Well, it did. It absolutely did. Yeah. But uh, but what I wanted to know, Richard, is from the, those values of those streets, um, a lot of that informed the work that you would later do. Talk a little bit about how that what how that upbringing kind of influenced you. Well, it, you know. It, um those values, like like you said, those values. Um, there, people live by a code um, of friendships and familial relationships were extremely important, and um, it, it just more or less it like guided your life. You know, um, uh, like you said, like you just said, I'm uh, uh, you know 20 years ahead of you, so. What I was getting from those days was um, parents who were either first or second generation great migration. And they brought the cohesiveness of the old South um, with them and just transferred it to the cities. And so you had um, like people in, in whole neighborhoods who were you know, may have known each other going all the way back to the, uh, you know, back to the, back in the day when they were all growing up down in Jim Crow South. And you couldn't go anywhere without somebody who knew your parents. Hmm. You know, so if you were doing something, word was always getting back. You know, all those stories you hear the old people tell in the church about, you know, you acting up down the corner, <laughs> you know, he was going to get back to your mom before you got back home. That Absolutely. stuff was true. Absolutely. <laughs> Watch this. <You> know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so yeah. When I, by the time I was was um, an adult and was starting my career as a writer, the stories that I decided to tell, uh, whether it was on the stage or whether it was on film, it was definitely influenced by you know, uh, growing up in the streets of Newark. Uh, my relationship with uh, people in the church that I came up in, Bethany Baptist Church. Wow. Up on West Market Street. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the relationships that I developed when I was um, playing sports in high school, because I got to meet people from the other, you know, kids from the other high schools and everything, and we developed these networks, uh, you know, through social circles um, across Newark. Uh, into some of the smaller towns that are outside Newark, like East Orange, and, right. uh, Montclair. Um, not so much uh, uh, some of the other towns like Irvington and Hillside, because they didn't have large black, pop- black population when I was really young. Right. Not like today. So it was like a real tight-knit group, and everybody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew you. <laughs> Yep, and that's still even true. when I got down to D.C. when I got to Howard University, you know, I was running into people who had relatives who lived in Newark. 
And uh, when I got out and like got off campus and and started making friends like in the neighborhood right around Howard, first thing that came back to me was, "Oh man, you from Newark? My uncle lives in Newark." I used to get that too. Man. No, my favorite. Newark Richard is only is- one fifth the size of Brooklyn. Right, right, right. <laughs> did you did you ever get this one when people go, man? I know such and such. Do you know them? Uh, nah, bro. There's a lot of people that live in Newark, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like that. It really was. I know. It really was. Yeah. See, like somebody always had somebody who lived in Newark. Right. And I was like, man, wow. All you right. Know, for such a small city. You know, well, Amiri Baraka, who also grew up in Newark, um, he used to have a joke about that, that, uh, that the reason there were so many black people in Newark was because, uh, you know, that long train ride from down south, and they tired, but they were on their way to New York, <laughs> you know. And when the conductor comes through and the train's pulling into Newark, he said, Newark? Newark. And everybody got and off. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and they got off the train, but didn't have enough money to get back on. <laughs> we got to do like Booker T, man, and cast down our buckets where we are. <laughs> hey, hey, look, amen to that, my brother. Amen. So wait a minute. So you know. we've got a couple more. So we've got about uh, 30 seconds left in this segment, man. I'm gonna, we're going to stop down here and take a break. When I come back on the other side, I want to go through – these classics that you wrote, man, in the 1970s. Okay. Give me some insight. Uh, of course, we are talking to screenwriter and playwriter Richard Wesley. Uh, you guys keep it where you got it. We're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Hey, hey, I am your lovely Misty Stone, and you are listening to The Big Show. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, baby. Okay, and welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Very personal interview with me, uh, with Richard Wesley today, uh, screenwriter and playwright. Richard, you still with us, right? Yes, I am. All right, sir. All right, let's jump into it, man. You know, I told you at the top about these connections, man. Let's talk a little bit about how you came, you and Sidney Poitier came to connect uh, on the screenplay that you created, uh, which would later be uh, Uptown Saturday Night, man. Tell us about that one. Um, I got a phone call out of the blue from his office. Uh, he wanted to see me. Um, never really told me exactly how he found out about me, but um, over the years, I guess it was because he saw Beverly Todd, actress who he had worked with in two films, performed in a play of mine. Uh, a little one-act play I had uh, with her and Morgan Freeman. And he got interested because he liked the writing in the play. And I think that's why he called me. 
he told me um, in his office that he had an idea uh, uh, to do a film in which he could get all the top black comedians of the day. And he needed a, a story that he could fit them all into. And the only thing, you know, that he had, he had an idea that um, he was going to do a story about a guy who wins a lottery ticket and loses it, and the movie is about how he gets it back. So, and um, go, ahead. go ahead. You know, he said, "What do you think you can do with that?" And um, I said, uh, oh, "Well, I'll do what you need. I'll tell. I'll turn it into a story." And um, said, "Fine. Uh, I got to go out of town for two weeks. I'll be back uh, a week after next." Bring me something. If uh, I like it, we're going to proceed from there. And and what you created ended up starring mm-hmm. uh, Richard Pryor or in a small role. Richard Pryor. Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. <laughs> Bill Cosby. Um, Bill Cosby. <laughs> uh, we got... Uh, Calvin oh, Lockhart. Harry Belafonte. Calvin Lockhart, yeah. Oh, my and God. And Sydney. Oh man, yeah, that Uptown Saturday Night is yeah. something special. So, so you wrote the Madame Zenobia scene. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all of that. The, <laughs> um, the um, the robbery is based on something that actually happened. Okay. Um, there, Muhammad Ali, when he first came back from um, to, to boxing after he had been a band from it for a couple of years. Right. He had a big fight down in Atlanta. And uh, all the doctors and um, lawyers, black doctors, lawyers, politicians, all came to that fight. And also at this, where the, where the players, uh, you know, the, 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 the the pips oh, I and the can't hustlers. remember all this. But anyway, there was a robbery at a player's ball. Wow. Uh, uh, there was a robbery at the player's ball, and, um, uh, you know, just as it happened exactly as it is in the film. And I remembered that, and I decided to use that as the uh, jumping-off point for the uh, film. Wow. Um, (laughs) What's interesting about watching that movie, and I told you I watched it earlier this week, is to see, as you said, I didn't remember that, you know, Richard Pryor had a a small role in it. Flip Wilson, of course, you Mm -hmm. bring him back to kind of play along, you know, I guess against the Reverend Leroy character that he had created on his show. You kind of embellished that a little bit in the show. I mean, in the film. And of course, Mm, you got a a young, hot Bill Cosby and a young, hot Sidney Poitier. Um, What did that do for you as a screenwriter once people saw your name? Uh, Did that open up the door for more offers for you? Because I know he came back to you for the sequel. But was there anything notable that you turned down during that period? Oh, during that time? uh, No, because almost as soon as the uh, script was finished, um, I went back, I, I wrote another play. Um, I can't remember which play it was, but I, I wrote a, a play. And um, then after that, uh, Sydney was calling me about, let's do it again. Um, 
and I got a number of offers to do different things. Um, I was approached about. Well, no, uh, no, I didn't get Mandingo. Nobody asked me about Mandingo, uh, but I was, I was, I was approached by the producers of the original Roots um, to do uh, a couple of episodes of that. <laughs> Wow. But I couldn't take the job because I already taken on um, another television project. Mm. Wow! Um, uh, yeah, that was to develop a comedy series for television. It I, it got the pilot, but it never aired. So let me ask you a question. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and then after that, uh, I was working on another play. And um, then I got some more movie offers. <laughs> so let's yeah. go. Let's go back to let's do it again. And I have a question because I I remember reading yeah. somewhere that uh, Pam Greer because this was back before we had sequels and how business is done today, right? Uh, right. I understood that coffee was made. Uh, I want. I always get these films confused. Which one was first, Coffee or Foxy Brown? And somebody once asked Pam Coffee. Greer, Coffee was first. So they said, why yep. was it Foxy Brown kind of not the sequel to what Coffee was? And they said she she said something, I'm paraphrasing, that during that time, studios didn't really kind of understand or see the business in that way of trying to continue stories of characters. And I thought a lot about that when I was thinking about the differences between Uptown Saturday Night and Let's Do It Again, because a mm-hmm. lot of the same principles that were in the in the initial film or in the next film but you created all new characters and you kind of move these guys around so you know so did that come into play or was it ever a discussion of should we continue the story uh, of the, that we started in uh, Uptown Saturday Night in this next film um, Sydney wanted the same formula but he didn't want the same character hmm. um, he did want to move in, in a a different direction um, just as far as the characters were concerned um, but um, none of us really wanted to do a sequel as such I think in those days it was been like no one wanted to do Uptown Saturday Night Part 2 Go, go we're going we're going further uptown <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah something like yeah nobody wanted to do that so, and, and let's do it again, man. You know, again, you guys have a lot of talent on the screen. This time you bring in the staple singers, or, or Sydney brings in the staple sing- singers to, to do the, uh, the opening song, which was an actual hit. Let's do it again. That oh, was yeah. a huge song in 75. Um, well, yeah, you know, the, the uh, um, staple singers sang it uh, was Curtis Mayfield who wrote it. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah, huge, yeah, huge the, the song. Sydney, um, Sydney had really wanted Curtis Mayfield to do all the music, the entire uh, soundtrack. But um, Curtis was uh, tied up, and um, except for the title song and um, I think a couple of incidental here and there in the film, um, he wasn't able to do the soundtrack the way um, either he or Sydney had, had originally envisioned it. But that title song sold the film. Absolutely. Um, 
they had uh, learned a lesson from Superfly. Um, what had happened with Superfly was the soundtrack album was released a month before the film came out. And it went, and, and uh, the Superfly album just went huge. Uh, it was a, a top 10 uh, album sale. Um, there were several singles that went right to the top of um, multiple charts uh, at the time. And so that album sale was like free advertising for the film. And um, everybody wanted to see the movie that uh, this soundtrack was attached to. So when Superfly opened, it just opened. I, oh man, it was like the movie. The movie made back all of its budget in the first weekend. Wow! Man. So, cut to three years later. Sydney has, um, you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield coming in. Curtis Mayfield releases a soundtrack album for Let's Do It Again. The title song is number one. And wouldn't you know it, we had the number one film that weekend when it opened. Wow. Yep, my, my little my little five dollars or whatever it costs, you know, I I contributed to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So let me let me ask you this question. Um some of the dialogue and some of the characters you created kind of transcended yeah. this time period and would show up again in popular culture like decades later. So how did you feel the first time when Christopher Wallace called himself the notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, you know, a character that you wrote in Let's Do It Again? <laughs> I was I was really impressed. Man. I was very proud, actually. Um uh, but uh, but uh, at the time, I wondered how long he was going to be able to uh, continue to call himself Biggie Small. Um, the the character is part of a film that is owned by Warner Brothers, right? And you know, so it's a copyright infringement for him to go out and call himself Biggie Small. And uh, uh, as I understood it, Warners at first didn't know a thing about it because they weren't paying attention to hip hop. Right. But once it got back to them, uh, uh, Wallace got a call, and that's how it became the notorious B.I.G. Oh, I see. He was Biggie Smalls at the beginning. Right. You know. Um, well, it, because like on on um, Unbelievable, his uh, you know Biggie Biggie Smalls is the illest, right? You know B I D I I E Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> See, you he's not calling himself Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's not calling himself notorious or right. or big or anything. He calls himself Biggie in that, and yep. he starts the song off calling himself Biggie Smalls. You know. But after Unbelievable, uh -huh. you don't hear him calling himself Biggie anymore. 
I know that's right. So, so you got that phone call. <laughs> so, also uh, another character in that same film was boxer played by Jimmy Walker named Bootney Farnsworth. And I noticed that uh, I guess uh, this brother must have got the memo after watching what Christopher Wallace went through, and called <laughs> he re, he re, redid his name and called himself Farnsworth Bentley. <laughs> did you did you catch that one too, Richard? I didn't catch that one. I missed that one. <laughs> there was another brother uh, up, up from South Carolina, actually a rapper from that South Carolina. Uh, he called himself Geeky Dan, <laughs> and uh, I knew, and, and, and he got he got the phone call. <laughs> Stop trying and, to rip off um, characters from Richard's movies, man. Man, I swear, uh, several. There were several. Um, let me see, because one of the characters that let's see, there was Biggie Smalls, Geeky Dan, and I think there was a third character. Uh, who also wound up uh, somewhere in rapper land and stuff, and it was like, man, I said, wow, I didn't know that film had that kind of reach. <laughs> Both those films, yeah, you know, and, and um, still to this day, you know, people, um, you know, ask me that question. They ask me that question about it, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I'm saying like, wow, man. Yeah, you know, I, I I had no idea. So it was we, my children mm-hmm. and my nephew. Uh, they were the ones who started telling me, you know, uh, about a lot of this, and because you know they grew up in hip hop, right? And um, you know, my nephew is a uh, Chael uh, Coker, mm-hmm. who's Luke the uh, showrunner now uh, for Luke Cage on Netflix, right? Right, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that was they were like oh, you know, daddy daddy Uncle Richard Uncle Richard <laughs> you know <laughs> your name is <laughs> on the radio <laughs> All right, brother. We got we got about thirty seconds, man, and I want to continue our conversation. Um, Richard, man, you know you mean a great deal to me. Um, apparently, from from this, the end of this tale in this conversation, you mean a great deal to a lot of other people who have taken inspiration in your work, brother. Um, well, I'm very proud of that. And I'm going to give you a call a little later on because we got some other business to take care of. Because uh, I'm I need an answer from you as it relates to trying to see you down here in the metro area this summer, man. So get get back to me on that one as well. I definitely will. All right, brother. It is always a pleasure, man. As I said, I'm honored, man. Thank you for taking some time out of your schedule today, man, to share your memories with us. Oh, you're most welcome. Richard, you take care, brother. Okay. You too. All right, man. All right, now. All right, and of course, that is screenwriter and playwright Richard Wesley. Um, You know, man, brother has impact. I'm going to take a break right now. We're going to come back, and it's going to be time for us to review movies this weekend. Uh, So you guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon at DC Radio, and we'll be right back.
Yes, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here, DC Radio, and that's dcradio.gov, 96.3 HD4. Man, I could have talked to Richard Wesley, man, forever. That brother, man, wow. What an impact he has had, his career, and the work that he's created has had. But, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about older films. It is now time for us to talk about what's new. And without further ado, here we go. There's only one film this week in theaters. So, you know, I could waste a lot of time telling you about a lot of movies that I know none of you guys are going to see. Hell, you might not even see this one. But hey, let's give it a shot anyway. Uh, <laughs> this week in theaters, the biggest film is Adrift. And of course, this film is loosely based on the true story of two avid sailors, Tammy Oldham and Richard Sharp, who set out on a journey across the ocean in 1983 and sailed directly into a hurricane. In the aftermath of the storm, Tammy awakens to find Richard badly injured and their boat in ruins and has to find a way to save them both. Produced and directed by Balthasar Cormacur, who also directed Everest and Two Guns, the film stars Shailene Woodley and Sam Claffigan, and here is a clip from Adrift. Do you, uh, like fish? I'm actually a vegetarian. So... <laughs> right. I like them when they're alive. Uh, <laughs> I was going to see if you just wanted to grab a early dinner. Uh... But seeing as you're... Do you know what? I can make a really good vegetarian version. That sounds great. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah, Sold. Thank you. Done. Do you want me to grab anything else? Uh, some vegetables. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> All right. Now, this story, which feels to me like a perfect storm rom-com with a splash of the sixth sense, is mixed uh, is, is dual stories dealing with the outcome of a brutal storm juxtaposed with the initial meeting and love affair between Free Spirits, Tammy and Richard. Um, we kind of take a look at their love affair and, you know, as the as the film kind of bounces back and forth between the predicament that they're in versus how they came to be. Um, Shailene Woodley, who I've watched a lot of her work, man, this this woman, like I've been watching it forever, um, you know, and, she, you know, I think she started out when she was 11 years old. And this to me feels like I mean, I know her work on Big Little Lies and she's really good in that. But this to me on screen feels like her first adult role. And she really, really shines in this movie. Um, you know, she uses her character. She uses everything to her advantage to survive. You know, her wits, her skill and her personality. Um, this film for me continues her professional odyssey from her character, as I said earlier, in Big Little Lies. And I thought she was absolutely fantastic. The number one reason to watch this movie. Now, I saw another movie a couple of months ago uh, in preparation for a film fest that we're going to talk a lot about moving forward called The Mercy with um, uh, Rachel Weisz 
and uh, forget the British actor's name. Um, I'm seeing his face in my head, but I can't give you his name. But this was another similar story about, uh, you know, someone who who meets the kind of like the overall power of being out in the middle of the ocean in the water and how that creates a sense of isolation and, and you being alone. And a lot of that is present in this film. Um, this film, you know, shows you not just about how isolation and being alone, you can be in the middle of the ocean without anyone coming to your aid. So um, there was a lot that I thought that worked well about this film. And I also had an opportunity to see it in a theater that was kind of Dolby. So when the movie, you know, you have these scenes with the water and the waves, you kind of felt it in your chair. So if you're going to watch a drift, that to me clearly is the best experience to really pull you into the movie. IMAX, Dolby, whatever. I mean, so I, I got people whispering different movie formats to me. All those formats work for this movie uh, outside of 3D. You don't want to watch it in 3D, but Dolby, IMAX, you're good to go. Um, the director of this film, uh, I told you, was uh, Balthasar Komakur, and he's no stranger to harrowing tales, you know, having done Everest, you know, another movie about survival, as well as the, believe it or not, the movie Two Guns with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington. So he directed that. So he has a handle, I think, uh, on how to create a familiar narrative where we're witnessing the budding union between this loving couple on the way to the film's catastrophic key moment. Now, if you know the true story, because a lot of people are talking about those true stories, if you know the story and how it ends, you know, that's good. But if you go in uninitiated, the film is a harrowing journey, but both Claffin and Woodley keep the inspiring story afloat, but not enough to sail it across the finish line. I gave this movie C+. I mean, I you know, I, I, I watched it. I enjoyed it. Um, is it going to be the kind of movie, you know, I'm going to be like, hey, man, cannot wait to see that on DVD. No. Is it going to be a movie this weekend that I'm kind of sitting around and I'm like, yeah, I got some free time, man. What's in the movies? Adrift. Nah, I pass. Um, Adrift, I think, is a is a serviceable movie. It's good for what it is. It's not great. Um, you know, we we are we've been so trained now that, you know, it's all about big event movies. And it's hard for small films like this that are story driven to really kind of break through. So, you know, that's my two cents on the drift. Um, will you go and see it? I, I would honestly tell you, don't really hurt yourself to get in there. Uh, check it out on your leisure. I'm just keeping it. The show is called Keeping It Real. What do you want from me? I'm just keeping it real. Uh, do not do not kill yourself to go out and check out a drift this weekend. Um, if you want to laugh, Deadpool's in theaters. There's some other stuff that's out there. Matter of fact, you may want to wait a couple of weeks. Ocean's Eleven. I mean, Ocean's Eight is in theaters. The Incredibles. You got some kids. Movies are expensive. People, listen to the man who sees them for free. Don't do it to yourself. As they would say in hip hop, don't body yourself. All right. <laughs> I'm getting ready to get up out of here right now. It is always a pleasure doing this show. And as I tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. I've already kind of prejudiced myself against, you know, what's out this weekend in movies. But you do what you do. You know, at the end of the day, it's your money, not mine's. I saw it for free. Until next week, I'm out. You guys keep it when you got it. And we'll see you on the other side. You guys take care. 
to me You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue But you can't bring the truth to me Fuck you and all your expectations I don't even want your congratulations I recognize your false confidence and calculated promises All in your conversation I hate people that feel entitled Look at me crazy cause I ain't invite you Oh you important, you the moral to the story You endorsing motherfucker